Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host today, Rodney Hu, and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Maor Cohen. He is the CEO of Engram Health, and Engram Health develops immersive therapies for high-risk older adults. So I'm interested to learn more about him, his company, and what he's doing in the industry. So with that being said, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Rodney. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. I always jump into it. Why don't you give people a brief background of kind of who you are, how you got into the healthcare industry and helping the older population? Sure. Yeah. So uh, kind of healthcare is an area that I've really been around my whole life. And I've always been uh, super just kind of fascinated with how care is delivered, how the kind of like incentives in society uh flow down to different populations between payers, people actually receiving the care. Uh, and yeah, just something I've been surrounded by. You know, one of my first jobs when I was in high school even was doing kind of market research, calling up a bunch of assisted living facilities, uh, asking them about their rates. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, one, one area in there. And then otherwise, it's just been kind of a lifelong fascination with the brain, with the way that the kind of environment around us shapes how we're thinking, how we're feeling, uh, the decisions that we're making on a day-to-day basis are in such large part shaped by like what is around us. Uh, And so that was an area that I was always kind of particularly fascinated in. I studied behavioral economics as an undergrad, kind of trying to delve deeper into how uh, environment shapes choices spent many years as a uh, consultant on issues related to organizational culture, specifically for hospitals and health systems. Uh, And, you know, a lot of kind of redesigning organizational environments to make people either be more productive or more kind of highly engaged in their work. Uh, And over time, like, uh, you know, many consultants wanted to get closer to the end users, and in particular was really interested in some of the new technologies that were coming out. Uh, And so as I tried out some of these immersive technologies, virtual reality, augmented reality, and found that they were really having a big impact on my mood, uh, seeing some of these experiences, that just got me super fascinated in if we can kind of create these synthetic environments around people that can impact their mood, how can we use that to have a positive healthcare benefit. And that's sort of the genesis of where Engram Health started. Okay, and so that's an interesting background. So how did you kind of decide on the senior niche? Like what sort of opportunities did you see? And like, what was like a main problem that you saw that they were experiencing? How did you kind of go about um, solving that problem really? Yeah, I mean, some of it was honestly like happenstance. So around the time I was trying out, uh, you know, Google Cardboard, which I don't know if you've seen, it's you slip your phone into a piece of cardboard and that's like a virtual reality headset. It's not a very good one, but you you get the idea uh, in some of those experiences. At that same time, there were a number of high profile Alzheimer's drug failures uh, where yeah, the, you know, very kind of hyped, highly thought of, and then ultimately in clinical trials, they didn't go through. And so I started uh, doing more research and finding that uh, while the pharmaceutical industry has made unbelievable progress across many uh, areas, um, obviously, you know, we saw COVID 
they did some amazing things. Alzheimer's is one of those really stubborn areas where just there have not been many or really any big pharmaceutical successes. And so I started thinking about, okay, uh, what are people doing that is actually helping to manage care for this population to improve mood, um, not just for Alzheimer's, but people aging more generally, people dealing with cognitive decline. And so I really just started talking to every single person that I possibly could uh, who had any connection to this space. So whether you had a history of it in your family, whether you worked at a senior care facility, or if you were a researcher, uh, and found that while the drugs aren't doing too much, there's several non-drug approaches that people are using that are extremely kind of well-researched, tried and true techniques and have very good evidence. So these are things like music therapy, pet therapy, uh, reminiscence therapy, where you often are looking at old photos and actively trying to remember past events. When I kind of read the research on these, I was pretty shocked because if there was a drug that had the same effects on quality of life as a consistent dose of music therapy, for example, people would be hailing that as like a real breakthrough. Uh, and so that's where I kind of honed in a little bit on kind of these non-drug techniques and started thinking about what are the problems that people have with these. Uh, with these techniques, often there's not much data being generated or kind of fed in during, uh, for example, a music therapy session that can then be used to improve or increasingly customize experiences over time. So often on kind of like an individual or session by session basis, they're not super data driven, even if the overall body of evidence is pretty strong. Uh, otherwise, they're also very challenging uh, to kind of scale. So for pet therapy, for example, you got to train a lot of dogs to really make that into, or, you know, whatever animal it is, to make that into like a highly scalable offering. For reminiscence therapy, you need to get really kind of deep into someone's personal history to know what is likely to um, bring up positive memories. And then, you know, the uh, elephant in the room that has, you know, now, I guess, like overstayed its welcome for a year plus is COVID. Uh, delivering these types of approaches remotely, uh, it's very challenging. Uh, it often doesn't work. And it's just like kind of a fundamentally different and worse experience. Uh, and so those were some of the problems that we kind of set out to solve in terms of how can we take these very proven non-drug approaches, combine them with immersive technology to deliver them in a data-driven way, deliver them remotely, and do it in a way that can really easily scale to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and more uh, older adults. Nice. And you mentioned like the Google Cardboard, which is crazy, like virtual reality is crazy. But during this COVID, you guys kind of did pivot away from virtual reality and towards augmented reality. And me, like, I like technology, you know, and I see the potential and the power of it. But when you mix like technology with an older population, how has that experience been? Yeah, that's, um, that has definitely one of the like most common bits of feedback that we had, at least when we were still in our virtual reality days is, you know, I'll talk about this with someone, oh, my grandma won't put that on. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, once we were able to get virtual reality hardware to older adults, people really were actually willing to try it out. You know, we 
hone the way that we kind of described it. So we would tell people, oh, imagine it's like a viewfinder, which are those old sort of goggles that you people would put on and you'd click through and look at different pictures. Um, so, you know, if you explain it the right way and if you get it there, people generally are willing to try it out. And I think a lot of the, at least with virtual reality, a lot of the challenges associated with, you know, disorientation, those have mostly been solved by just like well-designed experiences. So I don't know, like when I first started trying virtual reality, so many of the experiences, it's like putting you on a roller coaster. And it is like, I could not conceive of something that is more likely to make me disoriented and nauseous than sitting still and feeling like I'm on a roller coaster. So I think a lot of it is design. Um, but even before COVID, there was a lot of kind of challenges associated with the virtual reality hardware um, that were sort of leading us to move in a different direction. Um, first of all, there were incredible shortages that were only exacerbated by COVID. Uh, second, the, you know, in my opinion, and I think many people's best and best value hardware is uh, Oculus headsets and that, you know, they're owned by Facebook. And I, the, we can have a whole nother podcast on sort of like developer policies uh, that, that, you know, Facebook has, but uh, suffice it to say, there's a lot of kind of challenges associated with that. Uh, but ultimately the end of the day, when it got to the point where it's like, okay, we would like to come into the senior center with virtual reality hardware and touch everyone's face with the hardware, go from person to person, and you're in a COVID world. And it's just like, not like, not only are we not bringing people into the senior centers, but if we are, we're certainly not like putting something on people's face and, uh, you know, moving that from place to place. And so that became, uh, you know, a pretty challenging barrier in addition uh, the, we're primarily developing software-based experiences. And so if you're developing software, but you are requiring a piece of hardware that nobody owns, then you are also in effect kind of a hardware company where the hardware that you're selling is not your own hardware. Uh, and so that also presented a challenge. Um, and when we kind of like delved into the research, I think a lot of companies around like March, April, 2020, and a lot of, you know, people probably had a bit of a like, uh, you know, oh shit moment of what do we do here? Uh, and when we kind of looked at the research on immersive versus semi-immersive, where fully immersive would be virtual reality hardware, semi-immersive would be more like augmented reality. And so that you're still seeing the real world just with certain items uh, superimposed on it. We actually found that semi-immersive experiences when they've been tested out are extremely effective at some of the uh, endpoints that we're going after. So things like anxiety. And we have a strong desire to make our experiences as accessible as possible. I think in the healthcare space, so much of what happens is you get these really cutting edge, cool, interesting therapies, but they're often only accessible to a certain segment of the population. We wanted to build this so that it could be accessible to everyone. And so that's where the kind of idea of an augmented reality web app came out. With a web app, part of the beauty of that is no matter what device you're using, it could be a five-year-old Motorola phone, it could be you know the newest iPhone 12, no matter what it is, it has a web browser. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of really powerful experiences you can put in a web browser. Uh, and so once we made that shift, it just made it so much easier to actually deliver the experiences to older adults to deliver them virtually and solve many of the kind of issues that we initially set out to solve. And so that's been a, you know, a really good pivot for us. Uh, and part of it honestly was like based on 
constantly having conversations with other people in the space. So many of the folks who are doing, you know, virtual reality specific healthcare solutions around this time also started moving to multi-platform augmented reality web-based. Uh, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, virtual reality, is clearly a big and huge market. Um, but when you're in a startup, timing is really everything. And so having offerings that are available multi-platform uh, is really important for getting kind of that key resource that all startups need, which is users. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, for us, a big focus is continuing to grow the number of older adults, families, and caregivers that we are working with and able to kind of deliver these experiences to. Um, so we are, yeah, actively bringing on and kind of onboarding new customers. These are often uh, large senior care networks, social services organizations, many of whom uh, have many kind of programs within them that we'll work with and then ultimately expand. Uh, and so continuing to bring on more uh, members is a, a significant kind of milestone that we're working towards. Uh, we, uh, many of our offerings now uh, have been based a lot on uh, music therapy. We're building out some of our pet therapy and more interactive modules. A lot of the stuff that we built in particular, because we're uh, in many cases going for relaxation, we've created a lot of very uh, passive experiences where you're watching, you're kind of looking around, you're not necessarily interacting with uh, animals or other objects. Uh, that more interactive element, that's something that we uh, expect to be coming out pretty shortly. Uh, and with our uh, kind of the delivery model that we built, it's a web app, but people are accessing experiences via a text message chatbot. Uh, and so now we're continuing to build additional functionality into that chatbot uh, prompts for people at certain specific times of day to provide them experiences. Because, you know, if we can either raise someone's energy level with a certain experience or calm them down, there's certain times of day where that is particularly well suited. And so continuing to kind of uh, improve that capability is something that we're working on. Uh, and then, yeah, otherwise we're trying to not just focus on adding the, um, senior care partners, but pursuing different types of partnership models, um, more kind of licensing type of arrangements where we've built out a really, uh, a really strong library of content. We've been able to prove that it has certain positive effects on mood. And so identifying and finding other kind of distribution partners to get that out to as many people as possible are some of the things that are keeping us busy uh, at this time. Awesome. And then you kind of mentioned how when you guys were developing the app that it was just talking to a bunch of people, really just kind of getting a feel for the market. So how did you go about like collecting that data, collecting feedback, and then iterating that feedback into making your product better or something that people would be interested in? Yeah. So this is, it's not like a one-time process. It's something that we try to build into, uh, really having it as kind of like an ongoing ethic within the company. So uh, many of the experiences that we give, we are leading kind of a live Zoom session 
And then we're sending people off to these experiences. And so those live Zoom sessions where we have, you know, 20, 30 older adults on the call, that's an excellent opportunity to get feedback from people about what is working, what are the areas that are that's challenging. You can see on people's faces if you're kind of giving an instruction and they're not totally getting it. Um, and then honestly, that's a great way for us to get ideas for kind of future content. So we'll always ask people, okay, you know, you saw this scene, what do you want to see next time? We've had people ask, oh, I really want to see a bear. Uh, so then we come back the next week and we have a scene that has a bear as a main character. Uh, we have people asking for water scenes and waterfalls. And so you know, the waterfall took us a little more time, but now, you know, we have scenes where animals are kind of like jumping across waterfalls, water scenes. And so we kind of in our service delivery model, we built in uh, communication with the end users, which are older adults. And we know they kind of use technology in different ways. What might be, um, you know, intuitive to them might not be intuitive to, um, you know, like myself. And so I know I'm not, at least right now, the end user of my product. Uh, although I do kind of enjoy, I'm biased, I still enjoy the experiences, they put a smile on my face. Um, but we just in the process of actually serving our end market, we are constantly interacting with um, our customers. Uh, otherwise, in terms of like how to go about that, it's a lot of uh, time spent uh, on LinkedIn, finding, you know, who is a connection of a connection that I know someone uh, you know, when we were first kind of getting started out with this, uh, I was in business school and I just sent like a Slack message out to, I think it was like 3000 people, all the channel, which I don't know, saying all in a large Slack channel, maybe that's not like the most approved. Um, but we got a ton of people reaching out saying, oh yeah, I've had, uh, you know, experience in this area. You know, my grandparent had, uh, dementia or I, you know, own a number of home healthcare facilities. Uh, and so that was one way where at least initially we were able to do a lot of really good customer discovery and just kind of like set up those meetings to even get a handle on the space overall, some of the challenges in it, what has worked, what hasn't worked. Uh, and I'm, you know, continuing to always have those conversations multiple times a week. I'm trying to speak to experts in the space uh, who can, you know, give us insight on what's happening in the market beyond what we uh, have learned. And then it's, uh, yeah, there's always kind of like that synthesis process. We do uh, have regular weekly team meetings where part of that is devoted to kind of discussing uh, what we're hearing in the space, new kind of like developments. And so that's one way that we're trying to kind of synthesize that feedback. Uh, and then you kind of just build pattern recognition where if you're hearing the same thing from a number of people, um, you know, you start to think about it more deeply. So one thing as we've been showing these experiences to more folks, a lot of people have been saying, oh, this actually, uh, you know, I see that it could work for older adults, but we think this could actually be really good for children. Uh, and, and we, you know, we've had sessions where older adults will actually bring their grandchildren to the, to the session to kind of like experience this together. And so that's an area that, you know, we're still in kind of like the early stages of looking at, but ultimately, um, you know, if we can create positive experiences between grandparents and their children, um, if we can kind of brighten the days of more people across the age spectrum, that's something that we're trying to do. And really the goal is to, you know, we, there's certain things that we know um, there's certain things that we don't know. And the more people we talk to, the more we can kind of like narrow that gap. Awesome. Awesome. And just kind of listening to how you 
collect feedback. I feel like you have a lot of data. You have a pretty high level overview of the market in general. So you kind of touched on um, one trend of not just the older population, but maybe going to the younger population as well. But what other trends do you kind of see or notice is as far as like the augmented reality space and this this kind of technology to help a certain segment of the healthcare market? What, what other potential trends are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, the big one is a, like adoption of video chat software. Because, um, you know, we say virtual reality, augmented reality, people are often still thinking goggles. But like, you know, Zoom has a touch up my appearance feature that probably many people don't even know. Like that is a, that is a form of augmented reality where you have visual input, there's processing that's happening and it's providing a different picture. And so what, you know, we're doing, there's no goggles, it's phone, you're looking out the camera and seeing your room uh, and then there's objects in there. Um, but I think part of what really enabled that is just the massive adoption society-wide by necessity of Zoom and other video chat software because all of a sudden uh, overnight we had this new phenomenon, which is you know, 30, 70, 75-year-olds all getting on a Zoom call to talk to each other. That wasn't a thing that happened. And there's so many different types of experiences that are enabled by that. So that for us at least has been kind of a huge um yeah, a, a huge trend that we're seeing. Um, you know, I think you, you hear a lot about 5G and increasing, you know, phone speeds. We're a web app. And so as kind of connectivity improves, not even just 5G, 4G, you can do a lot on. But as kind of like overall speed and, and processing improves, that's only going to enhance the type of data you can gather from a web app, the types of experiences you can deliver to people. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, and yeah, and I think there's just like been <laughs> kind of going back to the, my overall, uh, I don't want to say like life philosophy, but like interest in environment and how that shapes how we feel. We've all spent so much time in our homes or in our apartments over the past year. And I think that is, there's just a huge recognition of the effect that that has on you, the effect it has on your mental health, um, and so with our experiences, you know, they are designed to be experienced in the home, uh, but it's making the home a little bit more entertaining. Like if you're going to be spending 10 hours or however, you know, 20, 24 hours, you know, in your apartment all day, it brightens it up a little. If all of a sudden there's trees growing around your couch and you're watching dogs sort of like run around virtual dogs, run around butterflies that are in your apartment. Um, and so I think just like that growing recognition of the importance of environment on how we feel uh, is definitely another kind of big trend along with video chat, uh, increasing connectivity, and just kind of an overall, I would say, increase in interest in mental health, awesome. digital tools. And it's interesting, like hearing you talk about this, just cause like from my own personal perspective, like I have grandparents, you know, that I talk to and when I FaceTime them or something, they're not always like the most tech savvy, but at the same time, they're always on their computer or iPad playing some sort of like card game or something like that. So I'm just trying to see how like I can offer this sort of alternative to them and how that can like improve, like you said, their mental health and kind of entertain them too as well. There's like an entertainment aspect to it, which is pretty yeah. interesting. Absolutely. I think it's such a, a misconception of like people are like, oh, you know, senior citizens, they don't know how to use technology. It's just not true. Like 
yeah, like iPad, I think is a perfect example. Like they do know how to use technology. It's just, they use it in different ways. They use it in different purposes, just like a, you know, 10 year old is going to use it in a different way from a 30 year old. We would kind of fully expect across the age range, people use it uh, in, in different ways, but everyone is using technology. It's, you know, it's 2021, like you don't really have a choice. Um, and so I think like what we've really tried to do is design it in a way so that it can easily be used. That's why the web app was really big for us because it's like, okay, you don't need to download anything. You click a link and then you're just in the experience. Uh, and that kind of like one click approach uh, has enabled us to you know, get uh, people using it without too, too much training. Awesome. And you mentioned um, one misconception, but like what are other um, pretty common misconceptions, objections that people have when they are kind of becoming aware of your technology and using it for themselves or their own patients or whatever? Yeah, I think the biggest, the technology one is definitely um, the biggest misconception. Um, I'm trying to think, like you honestly, one thing that is nice about it is that when I'm describing it to someone, I can very easily just sort of give them a three minute demo. Uh, and so that in contrast to kind of like virtual reality with headsets or whatever, just like being able to give someone a demo really helps clear up misconceptions because it's like, okay, you know, I'm describing it's an augmented reality web app. There's trees, there's animals, you're hearing music. Sometimes people know what I'm talking about. Sometimes maybe they don't, but then it's like, I show you the demo and it's like, okay, I understand this. And they're able to kind of, while this is a tool built for seniors, uh, it's the type of thing, you know, music, we know that can put us in a good mood. Seeing cute animals and nature in your space can put you in a good mood. And so, um, you know, while I'm kind of giving these demos, people are feeling some of the positive effects and then they kind of like generally get it. Uh, and so I think like there aren't many of the misconceptions, I guess, are sort of like cleared up by that. It's mainly like I, I was like, okay, I have immersive experiences and people are like, okay, what the hell is that? And then it's like, <laughs> it's this. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think, I don't know. There's not, it's really like the technology question is the big one. Mm -hmm. um, and we've done a lot to kind of improve the technology to mostly kind of eliminate that as a barrier. Awesome. So yeah, we're coming up towards the end of the like main part of the interview. But add one more question, and that's like, what sort of advice would you give to other healthcare professionals, healthcare entrepreneurs that are looking to get their technology adopted into the healthcare market? I think so. One thing is part of what makes healthcare, uh, at least for me, very interesting, also makes it extremely challenging, which is the sheer number of stakeholders. Uh, so there are, you know, insurance companies that are often paying for it. There's the end users who are receiving care. There's, uh, pharmaceutical companies who often have some of the largest, biggest balance sheets to be able to pay for certain things. And then there's healthcare providers and even kind of the, um, the, uh, distinction between like a healthcare provider, like a hospital system and insurance company, in many cases, that's getting pretty blurred as you see these sort of like integrated uh, insurers and providers. And so I think like 
for getting in this space, the first thing to do is have a clear vision of who is going to pay for it and who the end user is. Because in many cases, those are going to be very separate people, um, extremely separate people. Uh, and just start talking to as many of those people as possible because, you know, there's so many um, assumptions that I had about this market, about this space um, that just turned out to not at all be true. And it's very easy to kind of like sit in front of a computer, come up with a great, uh, you know, slide deck and have all these assumptions in it that you think are facts. But the only way to kind of like question those assumptions and really understand what are the needs that people have so that you can solve those needs rather than, you know, build a cool technology that maybe doesn't solve needs is to talk to as many people um, as you can and to do so in kind of a structured way where you can draw out certain patterns so that if there's any advice that I would give to kind of like new healthcare entrepreneurs, it is uh, really do that customer discovery, talk to folks who have had experience in the space and actively try to question whatever kind of assumptions you have um, about the market. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, otherwise something that we've really tried to build into our product is like a heavy research component and analysis so that we can go beyond, you know, saying, you know, we, this is having a nice impact on qual like quality of life to very kind of specific endpoints around, you know, anxiety and other areas. And so I think there's a huge interest in kind of like mental health, wellness, that stuff is, is great. Um, but it's important to also figure out where you want to be in terms of like, this is, uh, consumer facing tool that people use to kind of like have a nice effect on their day to day versus this is a clinically researched validated approach um, that can help improve specific symptoms for specific populations. I think there's good businesses in both of those areas, but understanding where you are on that spectrum from like wellness solution to like clinically validated treatment um, will probably impact a lot of your strategy. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, nice. Excellent piece of advice. <laughs> I think that'll be a perfect way to kind of end the main segment of the episode, but I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask okay. you a list of questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. All right. Let's, let's go for it. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Favorite book of all time. I've been, oh, I guess I'll say my, I mean, probably the books that I've read the most, I mean, Harry Potter, love those ones. Um, but I've been, uh, especially over the past year plus, I've been reading a lot of sci-fi uh, and I actually have it like right here. There's a trilogy, The Three Body Problem, um, which is just like one of the most uh, epic and excellent sci-fi books and trilogies I've ever read. So highly recommend that's definitely very rereadable and has been at the top of my list uh, since I read it about a year ago. Awesome. Number two, who's the most influential person in your life or career? Probably my parents. Um, I think just seeing how they, both of them are in kind of like healthcare from different uh, angles and just seeing how they were able to just how meaningful that work is and how, you know, working in 
there's many industries that that are great, but I think uh, kind of like seeing how meaningful lives they're they've been able to lead while kind of focusing in the healthcare space has definitely been very influential to me because it's just such an interesting industry, and you can also be um, you can be confident that you're having a positive effect on people's lives if you're solving big problems in healthcare, uh, and that yeah, and that's something I've been able to see from a very young age. Awesome. Um, number three. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? One goal I want to accomplish this year. I would like to uh, reach 5,000 older adults served per month. Ah, okay, nice. It's a good goal. <laughs> At um, least, hopefully we can hopefully we can blow by that. But yeah, have some have something to work towards, you know. <laughs> um, but last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your twenty year old self? <laughs> There's so many. Where do where, where do you even start? Um, I guess just kind of like when I was, I guess when I was 20, I was very, um, focused kind of specifically on the thing in front of me, whether that was kind of like trying to get good grades, whether that was working kind of specifically at my job, um, and, you know, trying to kind of like excel there, I would say it is worth it to sort of like explore be very open-minded to kind of like exploring different types of opportunities. For example, when I was, so when I was in 20, I was like an undergrad in college. I was very focused academically. In retrospect, I wish I had spent more time with clubs or kind of like extracurriculars or other activities. And then even, you know, in my twenties, uh, you know, as like kind of a young professional doing consulting, I think I probably would have also uh, benefited from, you know, more actively building other communities other groups, uh, whether affinity or, you know, interests that, that, you know, I could be a part of. And so I think just, yeah, being more open and like taking an active approach to trying to join communities that are outside of the ones that are just sort of like thrust upon you by virtue of going through your day to day. Awesome. Okay. Be open-minded to new opportunities. I like it. It's a perfect piece of advice way to, um, in today's episode. Um, so I just want to thank you again for jumping on and kind of just sharing your story, sharing your journey of what you're doing over at Engram Health and how you're leveraging technology really to um, improve mental health. Um, but before you go, where can people learn more about you, more about your company? Where can they connect if they have more questions? Yeah, so we're at uh, engramhealth.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter at Engram Health. Uh, my name is Maor Cohen. You can email me at maor, M-A-O-R, at ngramhealth.com. Uh, always happy to kind of talk about what we're working on and, and connect with interesting people. Uh, and yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and all those uh, good places uh, where you can connect with me. So hopefully I'll hear from some of you. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. Um, but with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.